The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field which a person finds and hides again, and goes out, and out of joy goes and sells all that he has and buys and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he finds a pearl of great price, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into a sea which collects fish of every kind. When it is full, they haul it ashore and sit down and put what is good into buckets. What is bad, they throw away. Thus it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Do you understand all of these things? They answered, yes. And he replied, Then every scribe who has been instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household who brings from his storeroom both the new and the old. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. like to tell another story uh, just to start off and give a little bit of context. Um, We've all heard this story, the story of King Midas, right? Midas's touch. And we've all heard this story. And so there are quite a few different stories out there. And I'll, I'll share the details of at least, at least this one story of King Midas. And so the story goes, King Midas is a, is a very, uh, I don't know about good, but he's a king in Greece, in the Gre- somewhere in the Greece area. And one morning, he looks out into his garden, and he sees the god Pan. Now, the god Pan is the god of wine and kind of partying. And so you can guess that he probably had too much wine, and the god Pan was, was found in the morning in the garden, okay? And so King uh, Midas says, well... Here's a God, um, and so I need to take care of him. And so for the next 10 days, he kind of wines and dines King Pan, or I mean the God Pan, taking care of him, giving him, you know, a feast and as much wine as he wants. And at the end of the 10 days, the God Pan, you know, says to King Midas, well, you've just treated me so well. um, And so I'd really, I'd like to give you something, you know, ask anything. What can I do for you? And King Midas says, well, he thinks about it, right? And says, well, I'd really like it if everything that I touched turned to gold. And so the god Pan says, okay, yep, you got that. Go ahead. And so King Midas tries it out, right? He tries it out first on a piece of straw, and it, and it works. Turns into gold. And then he says, well, okay, well, maybe it's that little bit. Let's see what else it works on. Maybe... This big rock over here touches the rock and the entire rock turns to gold. Well, he's just overjoyed at this, right? He's just become the richest king in the entire world. He can buy anything at this point. And so he goes back to his, his uh, mansion, house, castle, whatever you want to say, uh, overjoyed. And he goes to the garden and he goes around and he touches every single rose and turns this Rose, this beautiful rose into an even more beautiful golden rose, right? 
then in joy, he calls his servants and, you know, tells them the good news and says, I, this day, want to have a feast to just celebrate this amazing fortune that has, has come upon me. And so he sits down at the table and he's ready to feast and he grabs the first piece of food and it turns to gold. But no matter, right? He can still figure out other things. So he, you know, he's like, well, I'll just, you know, drink some wine. So he grabs the goblet and of course the goblet turns to gold. And then he takes, goes to take a drink of wine. And as soon as the wine touches his lips, it turns to gold. And in that moment, King Midas realizes that the very thing that he wanted would bring about his death. Now, I think it's a very insightful story, whether it's true or not. Uh, that's another question. Um, but it's a very insightful story because I think it, it teaches us sometimes about what we think we want or even need sometimes is the very thing that might bring about our destruction. If we were to succeed in everything, it might bring about our destru- destruction. King Solomon today has a similar um, chance as King Midas. King Midas has a God, right? Say to him, what would you like? Solomon today has a God, has the God of heaven and earth. Ask him, you know, ask of anything and I will give it to you. King Solomon, thankfully, in his humility, in his realizing that he wasn't fit to be king, he didn't know what to do. In his humility, he asked for wisdom to know what to do. He realized that if he had everything, as he did as a king, have everything, but if he didn't have wisdom, it wouldn't be worth very much. And so he asked for wisdom. And this is a beautiful interaction where, and we see King Solomon be one of the wisest kings, uh, just unfathomed, unmatched, right? And he, he, for Israel, because of his wisdom, He's able to bring peace to all the borders and bring gold, in, gold and silver in like as if it's lead and iron is what it says. You know, it just brings in massive amounts of wealth for the country because of his wisdom. But the problem is, is that if we know the rest of the story, um, his wisdom, even though that he's given this wisdom to know good from evil, he doesn't keep it in a spirit of humility. He ultimately uh, takes it in pride and ultimately uh, doesn't always listen to the wisdom of God, instead just listens to himself. And we know the rest of the story that he actually accumulates too many friendships with the pagan nations around him. He marries too many wives of these pagan nations and actually starts sacrificing to many other kings, raising many abominations in the heart of Jerusalem and in the entire country of Israel to other gods, and ultimately brings about the destruction of Israel, um, even though he's so wise. So what's the fix? I mean, can you ask for a better thing than wisdom? Uh, I, I don't know. So that listening heart, which is a beautiful, a beautiful ask. Well, I think... Partly what's missing is uh, the fullness 
of uh, the revelation of God. Right? King Solomon is in the Old Testament and God is working and he's saving his people. But ultimately, we're grateful that we have a greater wisdom than Solomon because we have Jesus Christ and the revelation of God. And today in the second reading, I think we have an amazing, the greatest wisdom, I think, in all of scriptures. This is a scripture verse that I go back to again and again and again. And I share it with people as much as I can because I think that this is the heart, what helps give us peace and to help conquer the world is this statement of wisdom. St. Paul is writing to the Romans and he says this, which you all just heard a little while ago, but I'll remind you, right? I'll just share with you once again, right? I know that you all know. Um, And he starts out and says, we know. Now that's an interesting first statement is that we realize that this isn't a hidden secret. This isn't something in the shadows. This isn't something new. He tells us, we know. We know, I know, you know, we know this, but he's reminding them because a lot of the times, even though that we know, we don't, we don't always know, we don't always act in the knowledge that we have. And so we know that all things, and he doesn't say some things, he doesn't say good things, he doesn't say the things of God, he says all things, all things work for the good of those who love God. That one statement there is the heart of peace and the ability to conquer the entire world and every single situation that you're put in to be able to conquer it. Why? Because we're able to realize and acknowledge God's presence and redemption in every situation, in all things, not just in some, but in all for those who love God. Now, it's important to distinguish and understand exactly what this statement is saying. It's not saying that all things work for the good. It's not it. All things work for the good of those who love God, right? That's an important part of it, is that you need to love God. Even imperfectly, you need to love God for all things to work, okay? Now, it's also important to note that it's not... um, This isn't a good that means a worldly good of success and comfort and consolation, okay? This good is the ultimate good that all things work for the ultimate good of us, right? Which is ultimately, hopefully, bringing about eternal salvation and eternity with God. It might, unfortunately, cause actually some suffering and difficulty in the moment, But if we love God and allow God to become a part of it and redeem it, it works for the good of all. Now, I think this is an important wisdom for us to realize about um, Christianity. Now, uh, we take a lot of things about Christianity in this for granted because um, we live in a Christian culture. Although I'm finding more and more that we're, we're, we're finding ourselves less and less in a Christian culture because less and less people are, are understanding that. And so I see actually um, 
every single time, just noticing more and more things of how we're no longer in a Christian culture. We're in a worldly culture. Uh, but, but, but our foundations are in Christian culture from Europe, uh, just the entire Christian culture that, that dominated Europe and then America as well. And so we take a lot of things for granted. We don't realize that it's anything special. And I think this statement here is only realized or only understood in the context of Christianity because we realize that with Christianity, with the uh, saints and with Jesus Christ, that all things can be redeemed. And I, I want us to think about that and to know that word redeemed, right? We think about, we've heard our Redeemer and everything else uh, that saves us ultimately, but also the fact that we realize that people, individual people can be redeemed, that individual situations can be redeemed. And what that means is it takes a bad situation, something bad, and instead of it staying bad or instead of its heart being bad, we realize that all things can be redeemed and actually brought to the good. Now, this is different than I think the worldly understanding which is that all things ultimately need to be brought to justice. Now, within Christianity, we understand that God is a God of justice, right? Justice will be served. But he's also a God of love and mercy and ultimately about redemption. And that justice by itself is ultimately hollow and empty and does not bring about true justice. It's an interesting thing that justice doesn't actually bring about justice. Because justice in and of itself can't. The prime example being World War I's justice causing World War II. Justice has to be tempered by mercy and redemption. Otherwise, it is just stuck in evil and a repetition of evil again and again and again. We see this with children. I think the, the redemption and mercy and love, we think that that's uh, present within children. Children learn it very early, and it's always amazing when we do see a child who's particularly merciful or maybe sharing. But what's the, what's the common tendency of children is not to be merciful, not to be sharing. No, no, no. What's the tendency? Their tendency is justice. You see this in two different ways. Either if they're the stronger child, right? Might makes right. <laughs> I'm, I'm bigger. I can take this toy. What's wrong with that? Uh, it's justice. I'm stronger, so I get it. The second way that we see it is, is the child who suffers from that. They want justice, right? And they say, that's not fair, right? This is a problem of justice. And we have to explain to them, well, life's not fair, right? Life's not justice. We're not able to correct everything by justice. Instead, the only way to overcome the world, overcome the difficulties of the world, is not by exacting perfect justice, but it's instead by allowing us to love God, bringing God to be a part of every single aspect, and allowing Him in us to redeem all things, so that all things might work for our good. St. Paul, who writes this, understands this deeply in his life. Because he did not start out always as the perfect Christian as we kind of hear today. We know the history of Saul, or Paul, who was also known as Saul. And he was there and helped, uh, helped murder, stoned to death, St. Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He was there to help incite that. Paul is a murderer. 
Paul later, on his way to Damascus, to go and arrest more Christians, and of course that beautiful story is knocked down, and Jesus speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it's that that starts his conversion. But what's amazing is that Paul doesn't ignore his past. He doesn't say, that, that wasn't me. Instead, he's able to beautifully speak about his sins of the past and say, you know what, God loves me even though I'm a murderer. Even though that I did this, God's love and mercy and redemption is greater. And it's in that that God works the good of him. I see this also happen in the modern day beautifully in situations um, of recovering uh, alcoholics especially, uh, which we see kind of more often. I find alcoholics, uh, recovering alcoholics, have an amazing amount of humility and rawness and just ability to be able to realize the redemption and the gift that they're given. In, and, and it doesn't mean that, that what they did in the past was good, right? They don't, they don't say anything in the past was good, right? They talk about how, how bad it was, but they're able to say that I want to redeem it, right? I want to make it good and that it can't be fixed completely, but I'm going to do what I can today. I'm going to redeem today. I'm going to redeem all things and that God ultimately, beautifully, when a recovering alcoholic is able to do it, um, I see God work amazing good in their life because of the amazing suffering that they also endured. Um, and even if a family is able to work on that. Now, it's not to say that it's easy, right? This, this statement is not easy. But it is the heart of Christianity and is the heart of peace that we have today. The world and humans want justice. God wants to redeem. Humans, um, I think this is one other distinction I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say that I think works within this as well, is that humans can always find something to complain about, right? In all things, humans can find something to complain about. The prime example being, if somebody gives you $1,000, you're like, well, why didn't you give me 2000 You know, it's like, well, we can always find something to complain about, something that's wrong, something that could be better. But a Christian, a Christian can always find something to be grateful for in all situations. St. Paul, as well, one of his experiences was preaching the gospel, and the people didn't like it. So they actually stoned him and dragged him out of town and left him for death. And St. Paul is able to be grateful for that. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to suffer with you. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to witness. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me uh, to know what that's like and to be able to suffer for you. Now, in our lives, what kind of things do we see as irredeemable? Maybe it's something that's been done to us. Maybe it's something that we've done ourselves. Maybe it's something that we're suffering right now, right? In COVID, well, we can complain a lot about a lot of things here, right? Maybe it's the political environment, right? We've got plenty of things to complain about there. But God can work all things for the good of those who love him. So let us truly know that statement. Let us allow God, let us in our love for him, allow him to enter into our lives, into those areas where we don't want him, in those areas where we say are irredeemable and we just want to forget or ignore or complain about. Invite him into that. 
Be grateful and allow all things to work for your good who love God. So one of the great gifts of Sunday Mass is that we're able to be reminded of all of these things, to receive his grace, to persevere, and to try once again. And so let us, in our per- imperfect love for God, allow it to be, uh, rede- uh, in our imperfect love for God, allow it still to be a persevering love that allows our love for him in his imperfect, in the imperfectness, uh, still allow it to, to redeem. I, I think about this, it just kind of, it's so important for us to realize that it's not perfect love of God that, that works all good. St. Paul, he did not have perfect love for God when God intervened and helped bring about his conversion, right? His love was not perfect always, but yet all things worked for the good of him because he persevered and continued to love God. And so let us also allow God to redeem that imperfect love in us and, and allow him to continue to Uh, be there as well.